So I think it goes back to why we think that investing is for everyone. It's just mm. that everyone has a different investment style. Mm. If you find your right investment style, then it shouldn't be something that is hard. It should be something that is positive. It should be something that is aspirational and helps with your overall financial wellness. Mm. When you say investing style, are you referring to? Hello and welcome to another episode of Chill with DSC where we sit down with geeky and quirky people to learn about how they think about money and life. Today we're chilling with Gerald, an equity research analyst turned entrepreneur. We'll find out what motivated him to quit his nice, cushy job at Credit Suisse to found Beansprouts, a local startup aimed at making investing more accessible for everyone. If you like this episode and if you want more investing content, you can also check out our stock geekout and market updates. Let's welcome Gerald. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so you listen to my radio show? Yes. That means you drive. Uh, I don't. You don't? Oh. Uh, I actually take public transport, but that doesn't deter me from listening to you on radio. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's broadcasted on the live stream these days, but I can be on the train and actually still be listening to radio. I see. Yes. Because usually people drive and then they listen. Okay. Or if they are on, let's say, public transport, they might have a habit of listening to podcasts. I'm a bit old school, mm. so I've been listening to radio for quite a while. And it's a practice that I continue because it just allows me to unwind myself. So I've continued to actually listen to radio all this while. Okay, how, yeah. how old are you, may I ask? I'm 38 this year. 38 this year. Yeah. And you started being sprout. When was that? This was actually early last year in 2021. Oh. Okay. So our journey has been about a year long. Really, this journey where we really started from is that we want to help investors make better investment decisions. Prior to studying Beansprout, I was an equity research analyst. Mm. I was helping to generate ideas, write research reports, and providing this investment advisory to clients as an equity research analyst. And I was actually doing this for more than 12 years. So after this journey, I thought of wanting to do something that was able to help a larger group of people. And that was really the idea behind Beansprout. So you started in 2021, that's relatively recent. Mm. Is it a COVID project or have you been thinking about it for a very long time? Yes, I would say it is definitely something that was inspired from the additional time that we were all stuck at home during the lockdown. I think for me, it was something that has been at the back of my mind because when I was generating the investment research as an equity research analyst previously, there are always friends who come and ask like, how do I start investing? What stock should I actually be buying? So it was something that we could sense a lot of people were interested in, but not knowing how to actually start or how to be able to become better as an investor. Mm. But I haven't really put aside the time to be thinking about like what else can potentially be done to be potentially helping some of my friends, and other investors. I think during COVID, we all saw that definitely more people started investing. There was 
a lot of interest. But then when I looked around the market, there was probably not something that was able to truly help investors in terms of how the whole process can potentially be made more simple, being able to help them come up with better investment decisions. So that was really what started the whole idea behind Beansprout in that if you had gone through primary school in Singapore, you probably have the experience of growing a Beansprout. Mm -hmm. The whole idea was that it is simple. All of us can actually do it if we have the right tools, which is probably just a bit of water, a bit of sunlight, and then you have something that is actually empowering and fulfilling. So that was actually the whole idea behind what we want Beansprout to be, Mm. in that it shouldn't be something that is so difficult and effectively exclude many people who should actually be investing from actually doing so. So that's why it's called Beansprout. Yes, that's why. (laughs) Not because you have to eat Tauge to be rich. Yes, that's right. (laughs) So if I go to your IG, right? Yes. Grow Beansprout, right? At Grow Beansprout. Uh, it says bite-sized investment insights you'll enjoy reading and it's, it's really simple. Mm. A lot of uh, uh, graphics and you want to really, it, it looks like it's for people who want to start investing or start learning about mm. finances, right? Yep. I mean, you yourself, you have been in equity research for 12 years. Yes. Yeah, and you're talking about how you know difficult is it to get information about financial planning yep. you know, online and yep. all that. How do you simplify complex topics like that? Okay, so this is something that over the last 12 months, we actually spent quite a lot of time actually trying to understand what is it that people actually want. Because I think if you want to genuinely help people, we need to understand where the problem actually lies in. And I think that is where we came to the realization that yes, there is that aspiration, there's an interest, but effectively what stops a lot of people from wanting to invest more is really that number one, they do not have the time. So that effectively makes it difficult for them, even if they want to be gaining investing knowledge, even if they want to be becoming a more confident investor, it just becomes something that is not within their reach because they have their day jobs, they have kids to look after. So I think what we then try to think about is how we can provide number one, bite size, and number two, actionable investment insights to these users because I think bite size solves the issue around the time constraint. And I think the other key area would be that it needs to be something that is actionable because it's not just about trying to suggest you need to diversify your portfolio. It's not just about trying to suggest that you need to do a certain thing, but also thinking about what practical steps we can potentially suggest such that you take the action right away. Mm, Because it's difficult to sieve out information. There's so, so much information yes. online and yep. it can get quite complicated, right? Yes. So as an equity research analyst, yep. you mentioned, are there any tips for beginners that you could share with us? I think for a start, I would suggest is to understand why you are investing. That is important because it effectively provides the framework for us to think about uh, what you want holding, why you're actually holding this asset. And that becomes even more important when there's uncertainty caused by various um, developments in the market. So if you actually go to a robot advisor, if you go to a financial advisor, that is what they always suggest first in that they want to understand whether there are certain milestones that you want to hit, whether there's something that you're trying to save up for, whether this is for your retirement planning purposes. So I think that is the starting point. But going back to the part around it needs to be something that is actionable. I think when we speak to a lot of people, when we ask them that, 
oh, what are your investment objectives? It's actually very hard to think yeah. of it in a void. Make money, lor. Correct, yes. <laughs> How to make more money. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So in that case, something that might be practical mm. is actually for a lot of understanding yourself, it actually comes through from trial and error and actually doing it yourself. So for example, you will not know how you would react to certain market events until you've actually been through it. So for example, you actually lose $50 or you lose $1,000. How do you actually react to something like this? Does it cause you to lose sleep at night? Does it cause you to potentially be worse in your day-to-day relationships? So I think it's only through something like this that you come to realize, oh, actually I was taking more significant risk than what I am actually able to handle. And then I adjust how I would think about my portfolio. I'll adjust how I think about my investment approach thereafter. So I think at the end of the day, while we think about the investment objectives, a lot of it is actually a process where you constantly think about it. And you can only think about it after going through yourself and understanding how you personally react to uh, how the investments actually perform. So t- talking about practical experience, right? Practical experience, yes. Yeah, because I have an army friend we're in our 20s. Yep. And, then, and then we were talking about, you know, how in your 20s, you're just starting work, not much money to invest. Yes. And my friend said this, like, that's the point you should invest. Because you, right. you have less to lose, that's yes. one. Yep. And even if you put it a little bit, you just try it out yep. because you have to go through the, the market yes. in order to understand your, your psychology, right? Yep. Go through the markets yep. up and down. Yes. So that that is really, really helpful. And okay, that's something interesting to, to think about. What's your personal experience in investing like? You invested before you became an equity research analyst or? Yes, because it became Mm. harder for me to invest myself after I became an equity research analyst. Because what, you're busy? Because of the work requirements, because of compliance reasons. So because of various reasons, it also (laughs) became harder for me to say, uh, invest in individual stocks. For my personal journey, I started actually quite early, not Mm. in terms of putting in money into the market myself, but from young, because my parents were active investors. So it was something that I constantly observe what they were doing. So for example, when I was young, not sure whether there's something that is familiar to the audience, but there was something called teletext. Yes. <laughs> prior okay. to even what we see today on the internet. So you have actually got to check the stock prices on teletext. On something on teletext, okay, yes. Okay. Uh, so you have to press a certain number on your TV and then you'll get the latest stock prices on teletext that appears in your TV. Okay, so you see your parents... Checking it on the TV And then calling their Remisier on the phone Ah. and making particular trades. So that was very old school. Yeah. But it was something that was very visual because you see them Mm. watching TV, watching teletext, and then subsequently calling up the broker to be making the trade. So it was something that you see, you observe, and you listen to. So that was actually where I got to know that there was something called the stock market. There was something called investing. So that was my early exposure towards equities. And I guess from there, I wanted to understand what makes a stock move up, what makes a stock go down. And it was something I became very interested in as an individual. So I thought that it shouldn't be something that is just left to luck. And that was why I thought that, okay, maybe if I can understand the process a bit better, it was something that I can actually do better at it. So that was how I actually started to think about, oh, actually, can I become an equity research analyst to really understand how to properly analyze a stock and be able to hopefully become better at investing. What was your first investment? Did you tell your parents that, hey, I want to invest in this stock. Can you open an account for me because you're too young or something? So I didn't actually start that young. Mm. So by the time I started, I could open up a stock trading account by myself. But effectively, what I started with was something that I was familiar with. So I think for me, I'm a bit 
of the personality where I want to truly know something. I want to make sure that I've done my homework properly before I put my money into it. I've done the proper research into it. I know what am I getting into. I know what are the drivers. Why am I actually buying it uh, before actually putting my money into it? So I started with the Singapore market mm. because I guess for companies in Singapore, those are things that I'm more familiar with. I see it. I know that, say, for DBS, it is something that is around. So that was really how I started my investment journey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you started investing at a relatively young age. Yes. How would you describe your style of investing? Sounds like it's more, you understand the fundamentals, long term. Yeah. I think a lot of how we approach investing comes through from our personal experience. Mm. For myself, I shared that, oh, I was able to observe what my parents did when I was young. And because of that, also I observed, say, different market developments, say the Asian financial crisis, and how that can potentially impact not just the emotional, but also personal aspects mm. of investors. So that was something that stuck to my mind because... How old were you during the Asian financial crisis? You were 38 this year, so... Uh, so I was 13 back then. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's quite an impact. Yeah, so I think looking at how that potentially has mm. impact on, say, people planning their finances, how that can take an emotional toll on others, I guess that made me actually want to invest properly and understand how... I should actually be investing in a way that doesn't lead to such emotional mm. and mental stress. So I think that was one of the early images that I have around that, okay, yes, markets do tend to go up over time, but then we just need to make sure that along the way, when there are crises that happen from time to time, there are market corrections that happen from time to time, it doesn't actually cause us too much mental distress and it doesn't actually affect our financial well-being. I think that is the most important point. And it was reinforced again when I actually started work. So I graduated in 2008, ah. <laughs> which was the global financial crisis. So quite interestingly, when I started work was on the day that Lehman Brothers actually collapsed. <laughs> you, is, that's your equity research job, right? Yes. Also. So, but thankfully, I didn't uh, start at Lehman Brothers. Okay, I started yeah. at another bank. But it was also something that was very visual because uh, I was just coming out of the train station and then there were people effectively just holding carton boxes and coming out of big financial institutions that you thought would be there for quite a long period of time. Wow, everything you mentioned like, feels like a scenes from a Hong Kong movie or Hong Kong TV show. It, you know, people calling their brokers yeah. and then talking about uh, carton boxes. That means they got retrenched, right? That's right, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Talking about yep. their scenes. Yeah. Yep. Wow, okay. So very visual. It mm. was something that definitely left a very deep impact on mm. me because it was not just something that I read about in the papers. It wasn't something that I read about in the internet about someone losing money because of a certain investment. But because when it all comes back to something that was... I think it was ingrained in me that number one, it is important to invest, but we also need to invest properly to make sure that we have the ability to improve our financial wellness. And that was your first day at work. Do you feel like, did I get in the wrong industry? <laughs> you know, like at a point in time, you don't know how it's going to end up, right? Yeah. Of course, of course, markets yes. went up yep. over time, but yep. yeah, it's uh, so difficult. So another thing I remember mm. was when I got into the office, I was sitting next to my boss 
And then something that he shared was, okay, look at the screen. This is something that you need to remember for the rest of your life. It's all red. And it's not just all red. Everything Mm. was down 20%. Mm. And it was very big companies. If you remember at that point in time, it was like Citibank, JP Morgan. And these were things that were supposed to be very strong and solid, Mm. but then still having that kind of significant impact when the economy was not doing well. So he said that something like this doesn't happen that often. But you need to remember because you deal with some of these scenarios over your entire career and you need to make sure that you are able to deal with such events that can come up. So I think because of these events that may not happen very often, but when it happens, it actually leaves such a deep mark on how I perceive investing, how I perceive potential losses, how I perceive financial wellness. Mm. I would take the approach that it is something I need to take into consideration. I need to make sure that I invest properly. And after I'm actually able to do that, how can I actually be also able to share some of these ideas with others such that they are able to make better investment decisions and be better off as an individual as well. Mm. So you've been through more than one financial crisis. We did not lose faith. It gave you some lessons instead. Yes. And... You mentioned about practical experience, which mm. you have. So how to you manage your psychology? Do you have like specific examples in which you held through a loss or you did something wrong? You know, what was it? Well, I guess we don't have to look very far back. Uh. Just two years ago <clears throat> during COVID, COVID, that was something that definitely created a lot of uncertainty because yeah. it was not just in terms of the financial markets, in terms of our personal lives as well, mm. right? We have never lived through a lockdown when suddenly a lot of the social structures that we were familiar with, being able to go into the office and have the interaction with your colleagues, being able to meet your group of friends in a social setting. Those were things that we were all very used to. But suddenly we were all locked up at home. Uh, We didn't know when was the next time we'd be able to catch up with our friends again. So against that broader environment that we were in, you also have to deal with the fact that you have ongoing investments that were having that correction because of the uncertainty around where this was going to lead to. Mm. So there was definitely a lot of anxiety. There was definitely a lot of uncertainty about like, what do I do? Because I've never lived through something like that in my life. And then on top of that, I need to think about what do I do with my portfolio? So I think putting the emotions aside is always difficult. But something that I feel is always useful is to take a step back and actually zoom out. Probably something that is not just applicable to investing, but also a lot of other challenges, issues that we may face in our life is that maybe when you take a step back and zoom out, some of the challenges that may appear to be very big at a point in time may not appear to be so significant. So in this case, what zooming out when it comes to investing would mean is that uh, I might lose $500, I might lose $1,000, really depending on what your portfolio position is. But then when you take a step back, is this amount of money something that you can earn back in future? If I have the skill sets to be able to contribute to society, if I continue to have sound investments, then I need to have the belief that that is something that I can earn back in future. Uh, It's a temporary setback. I take lessons from this, but then it isn't something that is not going to be reversed if I can actually do something about it in future. So I think it's also because I've seen different cycles in the market. The 
interesting about the markets is that nothing is actually irreversible so long as you don't get wiped out. Because there are ups, there are downs, and that's actually what makes it interesting because only when there are downs, you actually get opportunities to potentially invest more of your money at an attractive valuation. And because it goes up, and that is where you can potentially be able to earn a good return on your investment. Uh, so to me, it is something that in a way is reversible. If I have planned my risk accordingly, and I always have the chance to be able to making a return in future. And if I think about some other things in life that may actually not be reversible as such, then the $50, $500 or $5,000 that I lose in the market today may not be that big a problem, even if it may appear to be so at that point in time. So you took a step back and, and that's why income stream is very important or different yes. income streams yep. because you have money coming in, you can yes. hold through the losses, right? Yes, it gives you the holding power. Yep. So at a point in time, after you've analyzed all of this, what, what did you do? I mean, at the start of COVID when everything is still uncertain, we don't know how long it will be. Yep. Did you dollar cost average? Did you just wait on the sidelines, build up your war chest? Okay. Or did you just hold through? What was okay. your decision then? Okay, so first and foremost, I still have my job at that point in time. So definitely something that I think given you mentioned that it is about having an income and being able to earn it back in future, that in a way provided me with some form of security. But outside of that, thinking about it from an investment perspective, I think something that is useful even before I start thinking about whether I DCA, whether I were to not do anything, is to take a realistic view about where your portfolio is at this point in time. I think that is something that some people actually shy away from because it might be that, oh, the market is down. I don't want to see how much I might have generated in terms of returns. And then because of that, I just put it aside and not do anything about it. But I think as a starting point, it is just to take a look at where you are at that point in time because things were uncertain at that point in time. So I guess the next natural thing to do is only after understanding what your current portfolio position is, whether you are able to deal with further losses, uh, whether is it already causing you to lose sleep at night on top of all the different mental challenges that might come through from having to deal with COVID on a day-to-day -day situation. I think only after taking a look at how the portfolio is at that point in time, how you mentally are reacting to it, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. then we can take the next step towards deciding oh, whether I want to be doing more dollar cost averaging, whether I want to be maybe just leaving it aside or maybe that the amount of risk is still too significant. I might want to be holding more cash in the meantime because there are other things that I need to deal with. I need to take care of my parents, making sure that they have their food supplies during COVID when they may not be able to go to the supermarket. I think those are important decisions that need to be made and they can only be made when we take a realistic and honest view about how we are actually coping at that point in time. Because yep. it might not be $500 or $1,000 loss. It could Correct. be. It depends on portfolio allocation, yes, yes, right? Yes, and, yes. And you mentioned 
a, a way to understand whether it's too much of your portfolio is where you can sleep well at night. Correct, yes. Yeah, so that's a bit is always the benchmark in that when we invest, it is actually something that is meant to be positive mm -hmm. because we want to aspire towards a certain milestone. We want to buy a HDB. Uh, we want to be able to go for a holiday. So there's a certain aspiration that comes along with it. And I see that as being positive. But to the extent that it actually causes you mental distress, your relationships with your friends, with your family members is being impacted, you are losing sleep at night, you're not able to function well in your day job, I think that is when it can potentially become more destructive. So I think that to me is always the metric of whether it is something that you are able to cope well with and whether investing is actually helping you to achieve financial wellness. And, yeah. and so far you've been provi providing us with the frameworks and, yes. and certain mindsets, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, you're not like being prescriptive in the sense that you just tell people, oh, this is what I do. You should do this. Yeah. You know, because it's so different yeah. for everyone, for the individual. Correct. So that was COVID. Yep. Now we're in a different phase of the market. I don't understand it. What should yep. my framework be? What should my mindset be? The current markets. Okay. I think for me, the framework and philosophy shouldn't change. So that is something that stays throughout, whether is it during COVID, whether is it when the market is doing very well, mm -hmm. right? So we shouldn't be, say, suddenly becoming very greedy and not thinking about the risk when suddenly the markets are doing well, everything is going up. Then we continue to chase different stocks that our friends might actually be recommending. Oh, but Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy <laughs> and be greedy when others are fearful. Yeah. So the framework that we apply mm. is something that is uh, consistent across different phases of the market. So some of the things that we shared earlier around being optimistic in the long term, because the markets as a whole tend to go up over time. The importance of diversification because you want to be spreading out your risk and not being wiped out. Because the good thing about the market is if you continue to stay in the game, there's always another day that you can earn your return. So those are the constant philosophy and framework that we go back to. Okay. And that is something that we constantly remind our users, our readers on Beansprout. But what effectively changed might be how you manage your portfolio over different periods of time depending on different economic situations. So during COVID, you might think about it in terms of, say, there might be certain sectors that might benefit from this shift towards work from home. Uh, there are certain companies that can benefit from the fact that we are all going to be using our digital devices on a more regular basis. But this philosophy around having to diversify is actually still there. So back to your question around in today's environment, what is something that we need to be thinking about? Mm. Against this larger framework, I guess, it is not actually easier to be investing today versus during COVID because there is still a lot of uncertainty. Probably you have not lived through a period of such high inflation and neither have I. And we do not know how different people will react when prices are going up at such a rapid pace. Mm. We have not seen a situation where maybe some parts of the world are already starting to reopen, but then say in China, the people there might still face the threat of lockdown from time to time. We do not know how the geopolitical risks are going to pan out, uh, as we saw from Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan recently. So there are still different things that we are uncertain about. And I guess that is where it goes to understanding what your approach towards investing is and also what is potentially something that is appropriate against this environment. 
So if there's still a lot of uncertainty, you might not actually want to be taking that much risk. At the same time, because inflation is very high, you are afraid that, oh, if I just mm. leave it in a bank, the ability for me to be buying things with this amount of money is going to get depleted over time. So in this case, is there something that is relatively safer, but then still allowing me to make a return that I think is something that I'm comfortable with, but not requiring me to take so much risk. And I guess that is why a lot of people have been interested in, say, the Singapore savings bonds, the SGS bonds in recent months, because maybe it actually fit this criteria that they were looking at. Mm. So then at Beansprout, I think what we try to do is to educate investors around what are Singapore savings bonds? What is it about bond investing that you need to be aware about? Because people may be familiar with stocks, they know about REITs, but they may not know about what bonds are. Mm. So that's something that we try to do. And even then, there are still different questions that may come up around how do I think about investing in Singapore savings bonds versus putting money in CPF? How do I think about Singapore savings bonds versus putting money in a fixed deposit account? So I think those are actual questions that people have on a day-to-day basis. And at Beansprout, we just try to provide them with the insights so that after this, they have a better idea and can thereafter make a better investment decision. Mm. Yeah, you painted the macroeconomic environment we are in, in broad strokes, of course, because yes. that's all the time we have. Yes. And, but you keep going back to your principles. Yep. You know, over yep. the long term, it will yep. rise out. There'll be all sorts of uncertainties in yes. the market, but going back to your risk profile and your very first point about what are you investing for, Correct. right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so in the spirit of bean sprout, since yes. you brought it up, you know, let's go back to the basics, yep. right? Yep. So it's investing for everyone, do you think? I think... Investing should be for everyone based on what we shared earlier about how it can be helping us to achieve certain aspirations. But that does not mean that everyone should have the same investment style. So I think another philosophy that we take is that you are different from who I am. I'm different from who someone else should actually be. And I think that is where investing should not have a one-size-fits-all approach. And we actually need to think about when we are sharing some of these insights, how can it actually be relevant to different groups of people? And I guess relating to that, one of the questions that we often get asked is, should I actually start by investing in ETF? Should I actually start by investing in a robo-advisor? Uh, should I be picking stocks myself? And I think the answer often goes back to, there is no one-size-fits-all solution. And a lot of it goes back to the point about you will probably only know after you try out yourself. So for example, you might hear from your friends that we should actually be buying particular stocks because we think that electric vehicles is the way forward. Electric vehicles are going to see very significant growth over the next 10 to 20 years. But then the question often is, should I actually be investing in Tesla? Should I be investing in Chinese EV companies? Should I be buying an ETF? I think it really boils down to whether you yourself, say, have the time to be doing the individual stock research. Mm. You might, for a start, realize that, oh, uh, I'm very interested in Tesla. I spend 10 hours reading about Tesla, what Elon Musk actually wants to do. I look at the company finances. They are improving in terms of their cash flow and I feel comfortable actually investing in it. But after some time, I actually realized that, oh, I actually don't have the time to constantly keep myself updated about what Tesla is doing Mm. because I am busy with my work. I actually need to look after my kids. Then I think that is where the adjustments to how we approach investing can actually come about because while I actually start with active investing, only after I realized that it doesn't fit within my day-to-day schedule, Mm. then I might actually 
rethink my approach and come to realize that ETF is something that I'm more comfortable with because I am able to benefit from the long-term growth of the EV sector without actually having to track what Elon Musk is saying on his Twitter every day. So it goes back to the point, there's no one-size-fits-all approach and we often only are able to find what is most suitable by, for ourselves by trying it out and understanding what truly works. I think that's the hard thing about getting investment information online because like you said, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Yep. And how do I put this? I think people are looking for answers. Okay. Right? Tell me, tell me what to do. Yep. But unfortunately, the hard part is yep. still you have to go through it yourself, like you yes. say, because there's so many different investing styles. So the, the answer is always, it depends. Then also, no, it depends. Depends on what. Lah. <laughs> right? So yep. I, I guess that's very hard, you see. Okay. I think mm. the way we look at it and based on the amount of time we have spent talking to investors, I think we can break it down into two steps. So one is, number one, is this even a good investment in itself? So not thinking about whether is it something that's suitable for you. Mm. So for example, whether investing in electric vehicles is a good idea to start with. As opposed to say, investing in a company that might be facing more headwinds over the next few years because it is in structural decline or facing more competition. So that is something that we can all analyze with a certain framework around looking at the company, looking at the industry, looking at the finances. That is something that is applicable whether you are someone who is risk adverse or whether you have certain investment objectives to meet because there is a objective discussion around whether this is even something good to invest in. So that is something that we try to do at Beansprout where we hope to be able to offer investment insights relating to specific issuances or specific companies or specific stocks that investors might be looking at. Hmm. The second part around then, is this investment suitable for you? I think that is the part where the individual would actually be more suited to understand himself or herself. But at least the first step around whether is this even a good investment has already been answered. Then the next question is, do I actually want to invest in this or do I want to be investing in something else? Okay, so I think although there's a lot of information yes, and actually some of them are simplified like bean sprouts and yes. we have like comics, we have like infographics, yep. you know, all sorts yep. of ways to make investing accessible to people, yes. you know, easy to consume and digest yep. and, and understand. But yep. you still have to go through this, this hard process of having practical experience yep. and therefore understanding what style is suitable for you. Okay. Yeah, you still have to do it. Do the work. I would say you have to go through that process, uh -huh. but I wouldn't call it hard. It wouldn't be hard. Okay. Uh, or that it shouldn't be hard. Mm. If you find that it is hard, then it would actually suggest that there might be something wrong with the way that you might be approaching investing in that it might be hard because of the fact that you don't have the time, in which case you might be better off using ETF. Mm. It might be hard because of the fact that I am not able to take the mental stress that comes along with it. And hence, I might be better off investing in something that is lower risk and not having that much volatility. So I think it goes back to why we think that investing is for everyone. It's just mm. that everyone has a different investment style. Mm. If you find your right investment style, then it shouldn't be something that is hard. It should be something that is positive. It should be something that is aspirational and helps with your overall financial wellness. Mm -hmm. When you say investing style, are you referring to whether it's ETFs, robos, or active stock picking, or what do you be my investing style? How many styles are there? Yeah. You can break it down in different ways. Mm -hmm. So 
looking at it from a product perspective, like whether I invest in an ETF or whether I invest in single stock would be one of the ways to look at it. The other way to look at it like would trading be, versus investing. That's one. Yeah, so short term versus mm, long term, mm. or I can think about it from the perspective of whether I want to take significant risk or I want to be taking lower risk. So I think there are different aspects to it, and I think because of it, I find that it is more interesting as well, because while after going through this experience, I might have learned that I am a long term investor, but still I might not have learned about whether I'm able to cope with the fall in the portfolio during periods of market correction. So that is something that I need to learn mm. over time. And I think that is what keeps me constantly engaged because it's not just about a journey of growing my wealth, but it's also a journey where I get to understand more about myself. Mm. Yeah, so there's so much content that's packaged as more accessible. Yes. And also it's much easier to invest nowadays with all the different apps yes. out there. And also commission is so much cheaper. Yes, yes, I mean, yes. like, during my time, it was $25 yep, per yep. trade, Yes, right? Like yep. I only have $500 to invest fresh grad. <laughs> $25, my cost is very yes, high. Yes, yes. But now it's like uh, so, so much, a fraction yep. of that. Yep. Yeah, so then more young people, younger people are like investing nowadays. Yep. You know, people are investing at a younger age. You yourself started relatively young. Yes. Like, what do you think about this trend about younger people getting to the active stock picking, getting into the markets, getting into equities. Yeah. So for me, it's definitely something that is positive mm. oh. because we have shared that investing is something that is suitable for everyone and it is something that is meant to be positive and aspirational. So having more people being able to invest is definitely a good thing. But then it comes down to whether we are having good investing practices and we are actually able to make good investment decisions. So being able to invest is definitely a good thing, but then it goes back to the philosophy that we shared around if I'm starting to invest, am I actually from a financial wellness perspective better or worse off than I was previously? Do I make sure that I put in just the right amount of money such that I do not get wiped out as a result. So I guess related to that is also that uh, you start with what you are able to lose. And if I'm a young investor, I'll probably not be, say, borrowing from others to actually start investing because that can potentially lead to other consequences that can be more negative. In itself, if you are starting out with whatever savings that you might have from taking a part-time job, from your NS allowance, that in itself allows you to really start somewhere understand yourself because those will be important lessons that will shape how you are able to do better as an investor in future. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because um, it's good to get experience early on, Correct. right? Yes, Shout yeah. out to my army friend again, you know, like yep. if you invest at a younger age and right now the commission is much lower. Correct. Yes. Uh, well, of course you don't aim to lose it all, but yes. you know, you have less to lose in the sense that you can, technically you are young, you have earning yep. power. Yep. So if you really learn a lesson from the markets, people invest in crypto and then lose money, okay, then maybe next time you know how yep. to size your allocation accordingly. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. Stay tuned all the way after this quick note for our personal money question segment. Before that, I hope you've learned something useful today. Join our Telegram group, follow us on our socials, and check out thefinancialcoconut.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What have been your worst and best investments so far? It does not have to be a financial investment. Okay, so in terms, I'll start with the best. Mm. So to me, something that is the best investment is always in the skill sets that you build within yourself. So it may sound a bit cliche, but I think if it is something that you build within yourself, whether is it the ability to communicate better, the ability to be able to handle difficult situations, those are things that actually stay with you throughout mm. and actually are able to generate very good returns on a long-term basis. Right. Personally, what has been something that you've spent that is less than $100 mm. that's been so helpful for you? Okay, so I personally read a lot. Mm. So for this question around what I would potentially think as something that costs below $100 that's helped me a lot would be definitely a book. And if I had to draw it down to one book, uh, it is a book that I read recently called The Psychology of Money. And it ties in with a lot of what I discussed earlier around making sure that you do not get wiped out, making sure that you have the ability to deal with what comes along with investing from a mental perspective. Um, so those, I think, has helped to shape a lot of how I think about investing, how I think about investing within my larger life aspirations. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, we don't invest just for the sake of investing. Uh, we want to invest because we want to be able to give our families a better life. Mm. Uh, so I think that to take a step back is actually something that is more important. And I think it goes back to what we discussed earlier about not losing sleep over it, uh, making sure that it is something that we come out with a better financial state rather than actually being in a worse state as a result of all the investment decisions that we make. Mm. The Psychology of Money is probably our top recommended book in this season. Is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mentioned it a few episodes. Okay, like okay. Several guests have recommended okay, okay. this book, which means it's really good. Okay. It's really good. Yeah, we'll see if it's still the same book next year. Okay. <laughs> okay another book will come along and okay. replace its position. Okay. Yeah, so that was a book recommendation from yeah. you. Any other recommendations you have? It could be a book, a website, a blog, or a podcast you're listening to. Actually, outside of a book, Actually, what is something that is truly important, I feel, would be building experiences. Mm. Uh, so you can gain from other people's experiences by reading a book in which you are able to understand some of the key lessons without having going through it yourself. But what is always very helpful is to go through the experience yourself and understanding what you can take out of it. Yeah, life is like a buffet. A buffet yes. of experiences. Correct, correct Especially yes. for young people and like interns correct. they are working with. That's right, yes. Let's try out a different food. If you don't like it, it's not permanent. Yep. If you don't like the job, the job's not suitable for correct. you. You can yes. always, it's, it's not a, it's, down, it's not the end. You correct, can always correct, yeah. change, right? Try it out. 